0: For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Although we come into our Christian faith like newborn babies, God certainly doesn't want us to remain as children, but wants us to grow up to become mature and stable men and women of God. Paul has been laying out the Lord's plan to see that happen, and that plan is called church. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, No Longer Babies. Alrighty, let's get going. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 13 is where we left off, and if you are new to the church, we are a Bible-teaching church. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the books of the Bible. So you will always know where we are in the Bible. It's not going to be different topics. It's going to be a book, a verse, a chapter, uh, as we make our way now this morning through the book of Ephesians. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we consider your God-breathed word sent to save us, we open our hearts and ask, Heavenly Father, for your touch from heaven. Uh, We want to hear what your voice is saying to us, Lord, because in your word received there is life and blessing and fruitfulness. And so we pray to be open vessels, Lord, and willing spirits and receptive hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad that we don't live in a tornado territory. I think earthquakes are bad enough. There's something very terrifying about twisters, you know, those dark funnel clouds. People actually go hunting them down. I think they're, um, well, yeah, I, I don't think they're well. All right, let me put it to you that way. Uh, Several years ago now, and maybe you heard about this, uh, an F2 tornado, wind speeds of only 150 miles an hour, uh, came uh, tearing through Missouri, and a famous world record was set. I don't know if you realize this, the furthest distance anyone's ever been picked up and blown away by a tornado and lived to talk about it. And uh, meet Matt Souter. He was 19 years old when it happened. And uh, he became an instant celebrity. He was on every talk show imaginable uh, because he's the one who set the record. And uh, he was in his mobile home, minding his own business when the uh, storm struck and the windows shattered and the walls turned to jello in his words and the roof was ripped off and out Matt flew. And he flew. He was lifted up and he soared... um, 1,307 feet away, he woke up safe and sound. Um, That's the distance of four football fields. He said, funny thing he said in the article, he said, you know, I've never flown in a plane, but, you know, I have experienced something like (laughs) flying in a plane. He flew further than the Wright Brothers flight, you know? (laughs) That's pretty good. Thank you for the picture. So, the wind can do that to things that are not tied down. And this morning in the text, the Apostle Paul, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, is going to use the analogy that very analogy that God has provided a way to anchor his people down so that when the storms and the winds and the waves of spiritual deception flow in and out they will be able to not be lifted up and carried away. And in that case, it would have had a happy ending. But if it happens to you spiritually, um, there's no nothing good that can come from that. And so the context before we dive into our text here at verse uh, 13, um, God's plan about the church. The book to the Ephesians is really a book about the church and what it is and... That subject is called ecclesiology, from the Greek word ekklesia, or, which means called out one, so it, or assembly. And so the study of the assembly, what that means and what that looks like is what Ephesians is really all about. So, context, God's plan is that his uh, children reach full maturity in Christ, and the way he's done that is to make sure that when you are saved, you are You actually become part of the church. There's not really an option. That's who the church is. is a collection, an assembly of the called out ones knit together by the Holy Spirit. And each person has a grace gift and is supposed to be using that to build each other up. That's how we grow and that's how the church grows. And as he just was telling us, the Lord brings those gifts to life in you, through the context of a biblical church, where there are called qualified Christian leaders who use their gifts to kind of actualize your gifts and our gifts together as the church, and so the the pastor/slash teacher, the evangelist, these church leaders are called as gifts to the body, uh, and and as it said, to the processes in place uh, to help other. Christians grow, help us all grow, I should say. That's a process that will continue until, verse 13, our text, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does, it, does its work. If you ever, and this is going to be our text this morning, we'll just walk through it. All right. Usually there's a few paragraphs we look at, but today there's plenty to talk about here. If you ever wonder about church, why do I need to go to church? What is church? What am I supposed to be doing? You just take this paragraph and and frame it somewhere, meditate on it every day, and you'll understand the importance and the value of church because when God saved you, that is by definition who you are. You're a called out one, and he placed you in a church, and he has actually thought out a plan. He has a plan. He didn't just come and say, everybody get saved on your own, and then bah, you're good to go. You know, And so he has a plan, and, and we see that. We're going to walk through that uh, today. Really, uh, two ideas here. I guess you can, we'll divide it up, but we're just going to walk through the text. God has a plan, and, and there's a method to that plan. Those are the ideas there. And the plan is, is that you're tied down. That you come in to this world as a baby in Christ, you're born again. And, and the Bible calls us babies in Christ, craving the pure milk of the word of God. And, and, uh, but he wants us to grow into men and women of God, to be childlike in a sense of humility, independence but not childish in our thinking. And so we're to grow up and mature. And evidence of that will be theological stability. You're just not pushed around because of what's trending on Facebook. And because it's trending or on social media, then suddenly your convictions are moved over here and moved over here according to what's popular in the world. And who is the prince of the power of the world? That's Satan's title. He's the one out there, the source of all that gusting that's going on. And to throw a curveball and to move God's people, he can never steal your salvation, but he can make you act like a baby all your life so that you're not a threat to him and his kingdom and you're no use to God Because you're still drooling and need your Bob bing bing and all of that. How many people know Christians who still need their bing bing? Don't raise your hand. So now that I talked all over my notes, it's time to look down here and try to make sense. Uh, There's a weird concept out there that when you get saved, uh, you've crossed the finish line. Ooh, I'm in. And then you go off and do your own thing. You know, if you want to go to church, you go to church. If you want to download podcasts, you do that. You just do your own thing. When you get saved, it's not the end. It's the beginning. And you have come under a sovereign Lord that has a plan for your life. And that plan, 100% of the time, involves plugging you into the church. Because you are the church. You don't have an option. You are the church. We are the church. Now, there, when the Bible uses the term church, it means two things. Capital C, the church. That means the invisible church. All the Christians in this room and not everybody is. And so when you say the church, God is God knows everybody in this room who is actually a part of the church because they are actually born again. And they are Connected with everybody in Santa Rosa, everybody in California, everybody in Mumbai, India, where we just returned from. So in that sense, it's the invisible church, but it also expresses itself in local churches. Everybody who belongs to the invisible church in the New Testament was expressed visibly as they were connected to a local church. Ephesus, there. Um, You have Corinth, Galatia, Laodicea, uh, not a really healthy church there if you've read Revelation, Pergamum, Antioch, just to name a few. And in every one of those local churches, every single one of them, here are your two verses, Titus 1.5 and Acts 14.23, every single church in the Bible had a pastor or more, right? So biblically speaking, and you hear this a lot. Where do you go to church? Well, I, I don't know, whatever. I'm a part of the universal church, the, the the invisible church. Church is a lot bigger than just the local church, and they use that as an excuse as to not to have a visible church. Uh, Where's your support? Where's the preaching? Where's the accountability? Where's you building up the body of Christ? That's invisible too. See? So that just, right. Where's your offering to help the kingdom of God? It's invisible, right? Because I'm a part of the big invisible church. There is no such thing as a lone ranger disconnected out here doing your own thing, not serving the church. Is this my idea? I did not write this. I have nothing to do with this. Oh, God just, just snatched me out of a disco one day and said, hey, put this in my heart and my head and said, get up in front of people and explain it to them. I was minding my own business. I have nothing to do with this. So don't say Pastor Ross is all into church or church, church. The Bible says there is no other way for you to reach your God-given potential or the kingdom of God to do its work except we come together in assemblies and the whole New Testament shows us what that looks like. There is no excuse for not having a church. You have to settle down. And don't tell me that I do have a church. It just doesn't look like the traditional church. What does that mean? We go back to the old, the the New Testament. The local church had church offices, pastors and deacons. They had budgets. First Corinthians sixteen. They took offerings. Uh, they had missionaries. Acts thirteen. They had policies. First Timothy is an entire. Book of policies. Uh, Don't put a woman uh, on the the, 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 um, widow's list of benevolence funds unless she's 60, unless she's done this. You have a checklist, you see. Policies and buildings that they rented and church councils, Acts 15, and preaching and teaching and altar calls and baptism in the Lord's Supper. That's when you go back to look at the early church, which is sometimes called the organic, church, that's what you get. And it sounds exactly to me what the local church today has components of. And the only reason they were meeting in houses is because they didn't have money and they didn't have buildings. As soon as they had enough money and as soon as buildings were available, they used them. There was nothing more spiritual about meeting in houses. Houses, they rented a hall in the book of Acts, and they met daily in the big building, the temple. And so it's not about, you know, we shouldn't be meeting in rented buildings. My word, I can show you all over that. Now, sad, a Christian without a church or who has a low view of church can never, by definition, be of any good to God. No way you are going to hear Well done, good and faithful servant, when you're out doing your own little thing. No way, because God's design for you is to knit you into a body where you use your grace gifts for the edification of other Christians in that body. And if you're not doing that somewhere on the planet in a visible, tangible way, I guarantee you, you will not hear well done, good and faithful servant. And there are many Christians who will not hear that, but they will be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 says there's the scenario of the person who built on wood and straw, but they were truly saved. And when they get to heaven, the Bible describes it as though through fire, he himself shall be saved. That's a quote. But as through fire, like, you know, you crash land on the runways of heaven. They pull you from the wreck. They do the fire. The angels have the fire extinguishers going all over you and putting you out because you're still on fire in the back seat, you know, and you're saying, dude, you're describing something a little close to home here. Well, you know, some people say, I'm just going to be glad if I get there. No, you won't you will think to yourself, what was I thinking? It was so easy. Just show up somewhere. Settle down and use the gifts and abilities God has given you to strengthen his church and his work, not going out and doing your own thing like the rest of the world. This is the end days when that whole mentality has come upon us and who's behind it. Satan, of course he's behind it because he can't stop you from being saved, but he can stop the church from growing and doing its job. And Satan knows something that that Christian doesn't know. that The only way this church is going to be healthy and whole and and running like a well-oiled machine is, is that everyone who's supposed to be here is here. And not only are they just here, they're not just here to get something, they're here to give something because God has given you a grace gift. And that grace gift is supposed to edify and strengthen everybody else. It's not just job of three guys. There are 800 people here. How are three guys who are distracted all over the place and spend 30 hours doing Bible studies all week? going to strengthen and encourage everybody in all of their little places. And so it's time to get to the text probably. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, verse 13 (laughs) says that this is a process that will go on, Mark, until we see him face to face. He says, until we all reach Unity in the faith that we are teaching the gospel, there's a unity, there's boundary, there's a unity of the faith, and and there's a unity of the goal of the faith, which is to do God's will and edify one another in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. And so... God has a plan, and so in verse 13, there's a goal, and he says three things. Really, let's isolate what the goal is, that we all reach the unity in the faith, that we become mature. In the Greek, become mature means uh, to become a perfect, full-grown man, and King James has just about that. And then thirdly, to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the goal is really one, but it's emphasized with very lofty language and sometimes kind of passes over us. What is it? He says the number one goal is that you become like Jesus. Let's just put it simple. That you are as loving as Jesus, as patient and kind as Christ, as submitted to the Father's will as Christ was. He says, I don't do or say anything. Except that the Father gives me those words. And so really, the, the, the short of it is those phrases mean really what he said he's predestined you for. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. You've been predestined. And if you've been predestined to something, you best cooperate with it. Right? Because that's what God's trying to do in your life. And what God's trying to do in your life is to conform you to the image of his son. That means how Jesus lived, that we live. If, what does John say? John likes to just put it out there and blow your mind. He says, if anybody claims to know Jesus, let him live as Jesus lived. Walk as Jesus walked. Let every word that comes out of your mouth be wholesome and edifying others and your thoughts and it seems an impossible task. It's, it's gonna be a stretch, isn't it, right? And thank God for his grace that covers us, but doesn't take away the goal that God has, that while we wait for his great and glorious return that we are in the process of growing, becoming stable, and, and the rough edges are coming off as we work together with this Holy Spirit and the gifts that he's given us in the word of God. And just a wonderful thing. He says that we grow up. You know, First Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 13 rather, and verse 11, Paul says, you know, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put childish ways away. God's call here. And God's method is revealed that we grow up. And one pastor got up at a conference and he said, man, you know, sometimes being a pastor is like you have a diaper changing ministry. Uh, but only the, 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 the diapers are for big people. You know, they're always just, just big. They've been in the Lord for 20, 30 years and they haven't grown. Failure to thrive. Why? Because they go out and do their own thing for months and months and months. And the very thing that God blesses us with, a wife, they use that as an excuse. A child. Oh, we haven't been in church for six, eight months. Don't worry about us. We're listening here. You know what? What about us? We're not worried so much. Well, yeah, we're worried about you, of course. But what they forget is that you have a part as every part does its work. What if some of the parts are just saying, you know, I had a baby, we're going here, we're going here. I'm not talking about a month. I'm talking about a life that six months here and three months here and two months there. Why? Because I can be saved and not go to church. You are so theologically off to think a thought like that because it's not biblical. And it's just because all people do is run around the churches where there's topics and topics and topics, and nobody just puts it up there and says, look at it. You don't have an option. This is how God operates. And so I know you're you're all sitting there looking at me like, hello. I got up early this morning. (laughs) And guess where I am? I'm in church, and I'm at the early service. So you can take your remarks and direct them to the second service. (laughs) The word attaining there, by the way, and I'm just throwing this in for free, means to come to meet. So scholars are saying that the nuance in the goal, the stated goal here, is that when Christ, when we meet Christ, we, we adequately reflect him and represent him well. So, you know, God wants the church to be a full-grown man. God wants you to be a full-grown adult in your Christianity. And the church can only be the church that God wants it to be if you're as mature as you should be, right? Because you make up the church. So, God looks at seven churches in Asia and he says, hey, I've got some problems with five of you. And he says, uh, you guys doing a good work, but, you know, what about your love for me? Right. So churches always can fall short. You know, one church tolerated sexual immorality. Uh, one church tolerated false doctrine. One, fall, uh, one church, he, he told them, uh, you could be doing more ministry. You could be doing more. Right? I'm constantly got the pressure on me. How's our church doing? What would you say to our church? You know? And by the way, he always mentioned good things first. Jesus always said, Hey, I know your works. You're doing A, B, and C. Thank you. However, right? But two of them escaped the however, right? Which was nice. Philadelphia and I think it was um, Smyrna, right? Well, Smyrna didn't have time to mess up because they were killing them all. Right, so they were, busy. they were busy trying to survive and not worrying about lusting on the side. Amen? Yeah. yeah, so we move on. So now he says, evidence, you want to know, are you a Christian who's mature or not by this process? He gives two, a very telling metaphor. They're very similar. He says, um, unstable children are gullible and naïve and he pictures them on a little boat on a stormy sea and wherever the waves go, the helpless kid is in the helpless boat and it's adrift. And if the wave, the current goes this way, the kid goes off that way because it's it's a child and he doesn't have any uh, power. And the other metaphor is akin to what we started with. Uh, wherever the wind winds blow, they're carried away and uh, carried off with every gust of Teaching, and in this case, not good teaching. Um, the verb there means to swing around, and to it's used of spinning tops and of people who are dizzy and confused, right? And so immature Christians, when a wind of doctrine or a teaching comes in, uh, they get confused, and the head goes spinning because they're not grounded uh, in the word of God or in doctrine, um, uh, and they've moved. one thing that both metaphors involve is a movement away from, right? And what did they move away from? Jude verse three. The gospel, the faith once for all entrusted to God's holy people. The gospel has boundaries. The gospel is something and it is not other things. And so the, the move today, of course, is to take the boundaries off and make it wider. But the, the gospel has boundaries. You don't want to be outside of those boundaries. Uh, so uh, biblical truth, it's about God and his nature. Uh, here's a quote about this text here, about being blown around. Such are immature Christians. They never seem to know their own mind. Or come to settled convictions, let alone the knowledge of the truth. Instead, their their opinions tend to follow those of of whatever speaker that they last heard who moved them. Or the latest book that everybody's reading. Or what happens to be trending uh, on social media. And so they fall easy prey to each new theological fad sadly, because they have removed themselves from God's design for spiritual maturity, which is the church and pastors who teach the word of God. They are wide open to spiritual deception. And when the deceit and trickery blow in, they get caught up and swept away with it. Every gust of teaching, Uh, theological fads. Some of the theological fads, I've been around for 36 years now as a Christian. And um, boy, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of the the hot things come into the church, and they go out of the church, and come into the church. And if you're not careful, you could go to church for twenty years, and if that's the church, and God help the pastor who did this, God help him on that great day, that he followed. Two years of this program and three years oh this came in and you know I could name the fads and maybe I will there I have some written down here. Uh, but you can if you're not careful, you can find out that dear God, I've been at a church for 20 years and I have not learned a thing really. I have not grown. I've not grown, and I've been in church. Some poor guys, they just give the same altar call over and over again, and thank you, Jesus, that people got saved in that one altar call that he kept giving for 20 years. That's not his job. There are evangelists for that. Yes, we include evangelism in our preaching, but the job of the pastors is to feed the people and equip them, to equip them by the word of God to prepare them for works of service, to live and love God. If you're not careful, you wake up after 25 years and you're like, whoa, I still don't know much. Because you've been every fad and theological idea out there. You know, i got some fads written down here, and this is the part nobody likes, you know. <laughs> Secret sensitive churches, I'm not even going to talk about them, okay? A secret sensitive church is when you walk in and they're playing Madonna, all right? Uh, then the next one, the prayer of Jabez. Pray this prayer over and over and over again, and you know, God is going to increase you. Oh, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, the purpose driven life, you, you know what? Well, no, no. You, you, you know, God is going to sort all these things out. Uh, My point is, it's just a fad that came in. 40 days of purpose. You're doing the 40 days of purpose. Everybody's all excited about it, right? You know, uh, then there's Jesus calling. And ladies, I love you, but please, no emails. Uh, Listen, (laughs) Jesus calling. We've already been down this road. Listen, first, Jesus speaking in first person outside of the scriptures. Jesus speaking first person in a book, but it's not the Bible. Okay, I'm not saying anything. Uh, Near-death experiences. Oh, I died and I went to heaven. I'm going to come back and write to you about it. Listen. Go ahead. I hate to do this. The boy who came back from heaven started the whole thing. He wrote the most beautiful letter to LifeWay Publishers. And I'm gonna read it to you, all right? Here's a picture of what he looks like now. The boy with the, thank you. That's the picture they supplied. An open letter to LifeWay and other sellers, buyers and marketers of heaven heavenly tourism by the boy who did not die and did not come back from heaven. That's him writing. Please forgive the brevity, but because of my limitations, I have to keep this short. I didn't die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to do so. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot, cannot be infallible. It is only through repentance of your sins and a belief in Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins, even though he committed none of his own, uh, so that you can be forgiven. May you learn of heaven outside of what is written in the Bible, his words, uh, not by reading a work of man. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient Those who market these materials must be called to repent and to hold the Bible as enough. So Lifeway pulled all of their heavenly tourism books, right? And you know what? But I told you years ago that that was going to happen. And the reason I knew that it was going to happen is because I like to read my Bible. And in Paul's account of having a near-death experience, which they stoned him and left him for dead, he says, I had this experience. I think it's a vision, or I was actually there. I couldn't tell, but I was in heaven, and I saw things that are, there are no words to say, neither is it permissible to talk about. So I told everybody back in the day, the word there in the Greek is illegal. So Paul says, I saw, I saw things in heaven in my near-death experience, and it's illegal to tell you about it. But apparently, God changed his mind for little cute kids who want to make a movie and make some bucks. All right, so moving on. And I'm sorry if you're offended by that, but that's I'm, I'm just telling you the story, all right? So thank you for that. Listen, is it the end of the world if you brought your next-door neighbor to heaven is for real and they got saved? I'm happy. God has a way of using all things for good, right? But does it mean that we justify not knowing our Bibles and believing everybody who says, I saw angels? You know, come on, you guys. He said, if you were in church... And you were in a healthy biblical church with a pastor that already warned you about some of these things. You wouldn't be flying around all over the place. And then, then the friend who got led to the Lord at your good Christian movie has to read that. It's all over Facebook, it was trending number one. Then what do you tell him? Whoops, I should have read my Bible. Or I should have had discernment. And the only way you're going to get biblical discernment to sidestep the end day's garbage out there is to be in the word of God. Listen, I've got an idea for you. i got an idea, a slew of pictures. We have to move through them fast. You know, what's wrong with that book? That's a trendy book. All right? It's a number one bestseller, folks. It's got the Bible. All right? Here, i got some pictures here for you. Whether you're a little kid, you know, Keep going. Whether you need help reading it. You know, whether you need help, I can't wait for those days to happen. And (laughs) next, (laughs) next, but it's going to be a boy. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Whether you're a young man, you got it together, but you're opening your word. How can a young man keep himself from sin? But by reading the word and hiding it in my heart, how do marriages make it without the word of God? Next slide. Group study the word of God. Not taking out a book. The latest thing now, the latest thing now is the pastor opens up with a book, a Christian book from the bookstore. Come on. You guys, find a healthy church with a crazy pastor who believes that the Bible is all sufficient and all we need and one another and our gifts working together. Amen? All right. Can I turn the page? The method now as we wrap up, here's how it works. Now, um, he says, verses 15 and 16, it's a little wordy. So what I did is I went to New Living, uh, another translation that's more of a paraphrase. I checked out the Greek. It's really nice. Uh, Instead of being tossed to and fro, spun around and carried off by deceit, speaking the truth in love, we grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. That's an important concept. He makes the whole church fit together perfectly like a body. Each, as each part does its own special work, it helps all the other parts as well, so that the whole body is growing in health and full of love. That's why church is important right there. That's why church is important, as each person does its part. Listen. The Bible likes to call the church, using a metaphor of the body, a human body, where Christ is the head and the rest of the body, the church has to be connected to him, right? And, and there are several places that he does this. And what is really cool uh, about it is if you think about the physical body, if you, listen to this, if you cut your arm and cut your finger, the whole body knows about it. The whole body is involved. Blood cells are being released, different kinds of blood cells, platelets, clotters. And then what if there's an infection? So the white blood cells come out, you know, and now we've got to start to, 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 to heal that area. So the skin is doing something well. And, and of course, the neurons are telling you, oh, Tinder, don't touch it. You shouldn't have tested it in the first place. You know, <laughs> and all of that. There's a lot going on when you have a stomach ache, Man, stuff is happening. And this is how he pictures the church. Is that something happens over here in the middle, all over here, and somebody's got a little, caught a virus over here. Right, And I, I don't even know about it. That's not my job because I don't even know about it. Whose job is it? It's the fighter cells. It's as every part in the ligaments. Look at that. I mean, he talks about how we're knit together and so everybody has a part to play uh, so that that wound becomes healed, right? And that we grow into being uh, who we should be. Now, The method, speaking the truth in love, not just my job. He's saying as each part does its work, speaking the truth in love. So I love one, Expositor's Bible Commentary put it this way, a fundamental concern for the truth is the secret of maturity in the church. Listen to that. A fundamental concern for the truth is the secret of maturity in the church. Now, Speaking the truth in love in the Greek is pretty awkward. It says, Truthing in love. Truthing. So, since we don't say Truthing in love, we have speaking the truth in love, but actually, it's deeper than that because to truth, to Truthing in love means living, uh, speaking. Truthing means not just speaking, but living and doing. So it's really a verb that says doing truth. How you'll live, not just what you say. Now, if everybody in here is obsessed with speaking truth, thinking truth, biblical. Not your feelings, not what's trending, not what, whatever, but the Bible truth. If each person here is, a, is truthing. The way you live, the way you do your business, the way you speak, right? The way you deal with problem people. It's always the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the truth, the truth, the truth, the right thing, the right thing, the right thing to do. Oh, man, you're going to have a healthy church that people can come in and find Jesus and worship the Lord and feel the love of God and be protected. It's just the wonderful thing. But each part has to do its job. Well, this is the hard part and this is why churches don't do very well because telling the truth on our own is hard enough. It is hard to tell the truth all the time, 24/7, always every single day, never to lie at all. Try it. It's hard enough, but then when you have to go ahead and speak truth into someone else's life, now you've got a lot of things working against you, and that's what the Bible's calling you to do, and me, but you as the the sheep, speaking the truth, doing the truth in love. Number one, it's the spirit in times of, butt out of people's lives and, and let everything be, and tolerance. So now that's working against you and speaking the truth in love. Uh, no one wants to upset anybody. Listen, if you like to correct people, and that's what he's saying, is that every little cell of the church, when needed and in love in the right way and for appropriate reasons, will bring a word of correction. Not just a word of correction, but an example of correction by how you're living so you're not a hypocrite telling somebody, hey, you know, that's not right, but you're doing it. Who wants to do that? If you like to correct people, you should not be correcting people. You really shouldn't, right? If you're feeling like, oh, I hate that. That's the number one thing I hate to do. Well, then I'm sorry that you hate to do it, but you better man up and do your God-appointed job and you're not going to answer to me for it at the end. God will ask you, were you truthing? thing? Were you helping my people or were you always the quiet one at the table and somebody says something way over here and you just let it go because you don't want to. Is it my business? Is it your business? If it happened in front of you and it's your sphere of influence and the doors open and your blood pressure is rising and your heart is beating. yeah. Hello, it's your business. I'm not by the locker there. I'm not in the de- in the desk. <laughs> I could be. <laughs> I am not in the classroom. I'm not by your coworker. I'm not at Thanksgiving. I'm not there. Would I like to be? Yes. I would. But thankfully for your sake the Lord has restrained me. <laughs> I I would get there and I would let them know, right? Oh, well, somebody says, you know, I just read the funniest thing or I just think I'm going to start doing this. And I almost said something that would probably make you all crazy. You, you know, I'm going to start checking out this or that or the other thing to supplement my Christian life. And then you're quiet as the boat goes off. You. God's saying, could you just reach out with one word of truth and just grab it and just kind of hold it in there and tie that thing down? Just help a guy out. I mean, I didn't mean that about God, but help the Lord out by being his hands. You know, I'm sorry. If somebody drifts off and it was within your power to hinder that, you know, people are going to drift off even when you tell them. Right? But at least your hands are clean. I told them, and I, and I told them in love. It wasn't like I'm the God police. God's not looking for Holy Spirit detectives. He really isn't. <laughs> He's not. And if you do that, please stop. You know, you're annoying people, because it's not the right thing. <laughs> it's in the flesh. But if God gives you the opportunity in love. And what does in love mean? It means you've gone, you've taken the honking log out of your own skull. (laughs) You've taken that out completely and you realize what an animal I have been. Now you can see clearly enough to take the little speck, the minor problem, because you've got bigger problems. If you can go with humility and the tone of love, and I care about you. Put your arm around them, right place, right time, so important. And three nice things first. Hey, I really appreciate this, and I noticed you've been walking with the Lord, and I know that I have three, 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 and then you bring it. But I don't know if it's the smartest thing, I don't know if that's the wise thing that you be living with your boyfriend. Whoa, sorry. <laughs> You wouldn't go from, I don't know that it's the smartest thing, and start yelling like that. <laughs> <laughs> one girl, and I told you this, sweetest thing. She says, uh, I told you this already. but I'm going to tell you again. Uh, she, uh, she went to In-N-Out with y- young adult women, all her friends. And one of the young adults says, I'm going to move in with my boyfriend." I've prayed about it and I have a (laughs) peace. And she said, I just felt my heart beating and I just knew I had to say something and I just blurted out, that's not right. And and, and she was like, the way she said it was so cute. You know, she said, "And and I just said, that's not right. Almost like trying to stop it, right? And she said, that's not right. The Bible, and then she calmed down and she said, the Bible warns us about that, you know? And then she says, if your boyfriend wants to get intimate with you, why doesn't he commit to you in marriage first? And she says, oh, Pastor Ross, I was so proud of myself. That's exactly, that's exactly what girls do. I don't know why, but you'll never see a guy do this. You know. <laughs> what does this mean, by the way? Is, is it akin to this? Because I don't, guys don't do this either. What are you trying to do when you do this? Are you trying to, are you drying the tears? Are you drying, blow dry? Like woo, get the wind blowing in there. (laughs) I was proud of her because you know what? They called her the Bible girl. And that my friend is the reason you don't want to do it. Right? because you're going to get a little pushback. But our church and that girl and those girls who are part of a church needed someone to do truth in the moment and help her get tied down so that the wind of hormones that comes rushing into a lot of people's lives doesn't pick them up, carry them off, with whomever, <laughs> and then set them down and they realize they'll be visiting their children on weekends for the rest of their lives. Because maybe somebody who should have been truthing wasn't. And uh, you know, everybody will, whether we were truthing or not, they will answer for their own sins as, as it goes. But can it be in spite of us and not because we've neglected? Brothers or sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who who live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently, but watch yourself, or you yourself may be tempted. Galatians 6 and and verse 1. So in closing, the winds and the waves are only going to increase, I promise. You know why? Because the Bible teaches that. In the last days, faith is going to be, the Lord says, am I even going to find faith on the earth? Meaning, going to be the age of Laodicea where everything's lukewarm and people just uh, accumulate teachers who tell them what they want to hear. So you and I need to be grounded. We need to settle in, find our place in a biblical church, and be part of the body, do our part, uh, truthing. Let me show you one picture. Well, let me tell you the story. Another tornado, winds came ripping through a, a town in Arkansas. Maybe you saw this picture. The Harrison's survived uh, with their two little babies. The entire house ripped away. But guess what happened? They had a safe room. Uh, now, in, in tornado land, you can buy and have them come out and give you a safe room. And what the safe room is, is they build it into the foundation. And that thing is, I saw how they make safe rooms. They're expensive, right? And they need to be certified. But they went into their safe room, and the whole house blew away. And dad opens the door and comes out with two little babies and his wife. Their safe room. The point of the passage, my friend, theologically speaking, is the church is the safe room. A good biblical church is the safe room. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell, the winds of hell and death and the devil shall not prevail. Against what? Against you? Interesting. He could have said against Christians. But he said, "The church, as it's expressed locally, you're safe in this place. You're safe. You're grounded. You're you're together. You're true. You're around truthers, <laughs> truth, uh, truthing, right? And uh, guarded by the Holy Spirit and rooted and established in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your great love and your assurance and." Father, the way that you bless us, it's incredible. Thank you for the gift of the church, Lord, and each member here. Help us to settle down and and find our place to know what our gifts are. And then, Lord, to leave the church every Sunday and Wednesday or event uh, stronger by having been there. In some way, help us find that ability. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.